the title of the message this morning is The Comfortable Cross. And so if you had a choice between sitting at home, if you had a hard bench or a comfortable couch, which would you choose? If you could choose between a weekend spa and getting away for a weekend or camping out in the desert at the hardest time of the year, what would you choose? Or if you could choose between sitting in the stands, for a lot of you, just because I know you, or being in the spotlight, which would you choose? Yeah, I know, it's, it's a loaded question. It's really loaded, isn't it? Because at the core of all of those questions, they all have one thing in common. It's comfort. We all want comfort. If you look at our culture today, and a lot of things you see on TV, what do you see? This is how I can make your life more comfortable. This is how I can make your life easier. And they know people are looking for that. They know people are looking to simplify their lives and to make their lives better. You know, if you sleep on this Tempur-Pedic bed, it will adjust to your body and you will sleep for eight hours soundly and wake up refreshed. But if you sleep on a regular couch or a regular cushion and a regular bed or mattress and box spring, you won't be as comfortable, so you need to buy this. And so we're constantly looking for ways to make ourselves more comfortable. Even in our personal interactions with people, we look for comfort. Now, how many of you guys have your own little personal bubble where you just don't want people getting into? You know, you keep them at arm's length because if they get any closer than that and start talking to you, you start backing up. I got no bubble left from all the years of stuff I did at the hospital. But don't we keep people at that distance that's comfortable for us? We don't want them to, and then we, we start doing it with our, with our personalities and our egos. We start hiding that from people because we don't want to make them uncomfortable by letting them know well, who we think we are. And so this comfort thing has just gone over and over, and we protect ourselves, and we push people away because we don't want to be stretched. Well, you see, ultimately there's a danger in loving comfort too much. It seems that as we've continued to put more and more emphasis on comfort and being comfortable, our faith and our Christianity has followed suit. We don't want our faith questioned because we're comfortable right here. Don't ask me to go talk to my neighbor because I'm comfortable right here. Don't ask me to come to church on Sunday morning because I'm comfortable right here. And so Jesus basically goes through and he says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So those people that he said that to when he was drawing the line in the sand had to step out of their comfort zone to step into to being uncomfortable. Because God's going to stretch us. Why do you think when our kids are growing up and they start having pain, we tell them they're growing pains? Because as the body grows, it hurts. It's just the same with our faith. As our faith grows, it hurts. If it doesn't hurt, we're comfortable. We're not stressing anything. Again, I'm a guy. I have a simple mind. I'm not ashamed to announce that. I go to the gym. If I go to the gym and lift two pounds every day, my muscles aren't going to get taxed to grow. 
because I haven't tired them out. I haven't stretched them. I haven't fatigued them. So my faith is the same thing that if I'm not stepping out every once in a while and stretching that and fatiguing my faith and not being comfortable, my faith can't grow. But we've taken the cross today, and what have we done? We've put it on necklaces. We've put it on T-shirts. We hang illuminated pretty ones up on the wall, don't we? We've made the cross comfortable. We've taken the agony, the shame, and everything that the cross was associated with and made it pretty. And so we've taken and dressed up was something that was used for death. It wasn't made to be pretty. I was talking to Adam this morning as we were sitting before service, and, I, and I'm looking at my message. And so we take Jesus. Okay, this is what we do in churches. Not this church, I'm sorry. I, I just couldn't. After following up email, I just couldn't do it. I, I, I'm not going to make Jesus palatable. I'm not going to make Jesus easier for you to swallow. Because that's not who Jesus is. Jesus wants to be tough to, to swallow. He wants your life to be transformed. And in order for our life to be transformed, we have to get uncomfortable. And so Jesus says, take up your cross. What does that mean? What does it mean and why does he insist that we have to take up our cross daily? Why was that so important to Jesus? Because now remember, this is before his crucifixion. And so all his followers knew was the shame and weakness of the cross. And so when he said, pick up your crosses daily and follow me, it's, it's pretty much counterintuitive and hinders bringing people to the church, don't it? When we start talking about the truth of the gospel, because the Jesus saves and Jesus will give you salvation is a great message. It truly is, and that is the message, but it's the message of the cross. And we forget that part because we don't want to make people uncomfortable. We want them to come to church, don't we? We want numbers in our churches, and so we make Jesus easy to swallow. And we make, make him easy for him to understand that if you just say a prayer, Jesus will come in and he'll change your life. That's a half-truth. If we want the change Jesus is talking about, we need the whole truth. And the whole truth then after that says, you need to pick up your cross and follow me daily. See, fans like the Jesus of salvation. Followers want the Jesus of the cross and the resurrection. Fans want to stay comfortable. You know, we've talked about it before. Fans are thinking, you know, a little touch-up. And Jesus is thinking overhaul. Fans are thinking, you know, I just want to, or <laughs> for women. Fans are thinking, you know, I just want to put a little bit of makeup into highlights and things. Jesus wants to give you a complete makeover. For guys, Jesus is thinking, well, just, you know, put a few screws here, solid everything up. Jesus is like, no, nah, let's just wipe the house out and start over. Let's rebuild it. Because that's ultimately what Jesus wants to do for each and every one of us is rebuild us from the ground up into the image of him. The Holy Spirit's job is to build us up into the image of his son, into the image of Jesus. 
And in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. And so as I was talking with Adam this morning, I want you to think for a moment. We're back in first century Christianity, New Testament church. Jesus was just crucified on the cross. The people of that time knew the cross as weakness. They knew the cross as somebody being made fun of. Again, we've even, we've even prettied it up because most people when they were crucified were naked on the cross. They didn't have a little towel across them. It was built for shame. It was built to make the people who hung out with this guy did not want to do what he did. Now, most of the time, these people on the cross suffered for days. It wasn't an instantaneous death. And this is, again, I'm sitting at home thinking about this. How often do we view the cross this way? How often do I view what Jesus actually went through for me? And I I wanted to, and I couldn't find it. But I so, so wanted to find a soundtrack of nails and and, and the nails being driven into Jesus' hands and feet. With your eyes closed, picture that for a second. Just close your eyes and think about that. I mean, listen to those nails being pounded into his hands. And he's saying, I'm doing this for love. He's praying for the people who are doing it. But hear that clang of that hammer hitting those nails and going through his wrists into the beam. As he's getting hung up on the cross. And then his feet. And then he's sitting there struggling to breathe. How often do we get broken at the foot of the cross? We've made it comfortable. We've taken the cross and said, I don't want that because that makes me feel bad. Good. Because Jesus wants to make it new. But he also wants us to understand that that's not the end. So you can open your eyes again. And now with that thought process, come into today's churches with a cross illuminated hanging on the wall. What's your picture of that cross? It's a sign of weakness. If a first century Christian or Jew was to walk into our church and see a cross hanging up on the wall, they would have thought we were weird. Because it meant weakness. It's kind of like, say, who's got some earrings? Who has pierced ears? Would you, do you guys walk around with like little um, like electric chairs hanging from your ears? Why not? That's what the cross is. How many people do you know walk around with a little guillotine hanging on their necklace? We've, we've prettied the cross up so it doesn't mean as much. We've made the cross comfortable to swallow. It was never meant to be comfortable to swallow. Because for the Jews, the cross meant weakness. Now, here's the turning point in this message. Is when we think the thought of the, of the God of the universe coming to earth in the form of man to be crucified, it's complete foolishness. But I really believe that's the reason God used what he did. He took what was foolishness and weakness 
to the world and used it for his glory. And so why would God use that symbol of torture, of death, of weakness to save the world? I think that was God's point. That's what God was trying to get across to us when he used the cross, is I can take what has no glory, I can take what is foolish, I can take what has no honor and the least likely symbol of love, and God says, I'll use that to save the world. And so if you're thinking to yourself this morning, I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. God wants to do for you what he did with Jesus at the cross and use it for his glory. He wants to take what seems foolish and make it great. Because who else but God can take what represented defeat and turn it into a symbol of victory? Because isn't that what the cross stands for today for us? It's victory. Our victory was purchased at the cross. We understand that. We don't want to minimize the cross. We don't want the cross to be comfortable. I want to be broken at the cross. But I also understand God used the cross for victory. Because who else besides God can take what represented guilt and turn it into grace? Who else besides God can take what represented condemnation and turn it into the biggest symbol of freedom ever? Who else besides God can take the cross that represented pain and suffering and turn it into the ultimate healing and hope? Only God can. And that's exactly what he wants to do for each and every one of us this morning. Taking everything we think we're not worth and says, I can take that and use it for something great if you let me. Because when they looked at the cross and their world was blowing up, I... and. They're kneeling at the cross watching who they thought was the son of God being crucified on the cross. They thought he was dying. Their world is blowing up. They got nothing, remember. They went into hiding after this because they didn't have the whole book. We got the whole book and take for granted the cross. We say the cross is just this beautiful symbol we're going to talk about at Easter time. But not too much on Good Friday. Let's talk about it more on Sunday when the resurrection happens because don't make me uncomfortable back here. Because this is where I am. I'm back here. And God's saying, I want to get you to the resurrection. Take your pain. Take your shame. Take your guilt. Take your hurt. Take your past. Lay it at the foot of the cross and let Jesus use it for the resurrection. Because that's who he is. He takes what's foolish to the world and says, I can use it. And until we're broken, and until we realize we need it, we can never step into that fullness. And because what represented death now is a symbol of life. No one else can do that. There is no one in history who can do that for you. Not even yourself can you do that. Because that's exactly what God did in the ultimate moment of God's weakness, in the ultimate moment of Jesus' weakness, was in reality the ultimate moment of his strength. What the disciples at that day thought of was the Son of God, because they called him that, was getting crucified on a cross when the world seemed to be in chaos. So if your world seemed to be in chaos this morning, understand God's got this. What looked like chaos of the cross, Jesus is saying... 
It's only Friday. Today may be your Friday. And Jesus is saying, it's only Friday. Hang on to Sunday. Jesus may say, you may be going through, through some things with your kids, but it's only Friday in their life. Let's get to the resurrection. We may be going through some stuff in our families. We may be going through some things at our jobs. But God's saying, guess what? I can use this because it's only Friday. Now, that's a good Easter message. But it's a message we should live with every day. It's not a once a year message. The cross is the central point of Christianity because there is no other leader of any religion in the world who is alive today but Jesus. And so we live with that knowledge. We live with that power. Because what God did for the cross, he wants to and desires to and is pleading to do for you. That's who he is. 1 Corinthians 1.27, as we keep going kind of through for that 1 Corinthians 1, it says again, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to to shame the things which are mighty. So 1 Corinthians 1.27 is another verse we're looking at. And Paul is saying again, understand, in my weakness he is made strong. Don't work on your weaknesses thinking they're ever going to be your strength because they're not. I hate to break that to you. I know we've been told that. Just work on your weaknesses and they'll be okay. Nope, they're always going to be your weaknesses. But God says, in your weakness... I can be made strong. So what goes for a weakness for me is when I used to stand before people and we were joking about it this morning, I would antagonize people just so they would start a fight so I could finish it. That's who I was. And if they didn't want to, I'd keep egging them on. And so what was a weakness for me in my pride, God humbled me and made it his greatest strength that I now use that same voice, the same tongue, to reach people for Jesus. Amen. Give God a clap because he's done that for every one of you here. When we understand what we think is the worst part about us, God's saying, that is going to touch some lives right there. We just have to be humble enough to let him use it. And so, if we look throughout Scripture, go oh, I'm right on time. If we look throughout Scripture, we're going to see a lot of people who thought they weren't worth anything. I mean, just read your Bible sometime. You're going to find person after person who had an excuse why God couldn't use them. Okay, we're going to start off old school, Abraham. Abraham's excuse was he was old, wasn't it? Because God's saying, you're going to have a baby. He's like, dude, I am 100 years old. How's that going to happen? He's like, watch me. Didn't he? I mean, how would you guys feel? God walk up and say, dude, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> exactly. But that was Abraham's excuse. How many of us use that? Well, I can't go back to school because I'm too old. I didn't go back to school and finish my stuff until I was 40. Do you think that matters to God? No. We look at someone else, Jacob. That dude was insecure as all get out. He's stealing things all over the place just so he can get some acceptance, isn't he? We got Leah. 
she was unattractive. That was her excuse. She wasn't as good looking as his sister. Right? Joseph, he got humiliated. Left and right dude is getting humiliated, tossed in prison. Moses, his greatest excuse was he stuttered. Use somebody else, I can't talk good enough. Gideon, he was the least of the least and he was poor. God couldn't use him. But I love that story because what does the angel of the Lord call him? Valiant warrior. That's what God calls you. When he walks into your threshing room, he's saying, what's up, valiant warrior? He may not say it like that to you, but that's what he says to me. That's how I talk. But all these people keep having excuses. You had Samson. Dude had some serious pride issues. You had, after Samson, we got, who we got after that? We got Rahab. She was immoral. Okay, she was a prostitute. Which, if you've ever studied that one, how did a prostitute get in the lineage of Jesus? Oh. That throws that throw some, throw some monkey wenches in what we think, and ain't it? How did Jesus have a prostitute in his line, genealogy? My family's horrible. My family's no good. My family can't do nothing, really, are any of them prostitutes? That who's in Jesus' genealogy. See, God gets rid of excuses. God says, I'm going to use your excuse and make it great. And then you get David. That dude was, had an affair. He killed people. Dude did all kinds of things wrong. He gives me hope every day because I'm constantly screwing things up. And I'm like, okay, how do I be like David? I go back to the cross and I repent from my sins. I say, okay, God, I am sorry. Because that's what David did. Then you got Elijah. That dude was suicidal. He had depression like a madman sitting under a tree. God, just kill me. Remember that story? If not, get into your Bible and start reading it because it's awesome. Um, you got John the Baptist. Dude was eccentric. Okay, that dude had some issues. He weren't running around in like furry clothes and eating locusts and bugs and stuff. And he was a forerunner of Jesus. He was the cousin of Jesus. God uses the foolish things of the world to do great things. And you got Peter. That dude was just impulsive and hot-tempered. That is me in a nutshell. You got Martha. She worried a lot. The Samaritan woman who had several failed marriages. You got Zacchaeus who was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. And Timothy was timid. I mean, you can go throughout the Bible. Every great person God used, they all had an excuse why God couldn't use them. So today, we are going to get rid of excuses. Why? I can't do this, God, because of this. God's saying, I can do it because of this. God always said, each time every one of those people talked, he said, my grace is all you need. When I first started on the worship team at Life Assembly, I started playing bass guitar because that's what I grew up playing. And I stood over in the corner minding my own business. I didn't want anybody to see me up there. So I'm sitting over in the corner with my old four-string bass that I had, and I'm playing away. And all of a sudden, I start worshiping, and I start moving a little bit when I'm worshiping. And I'm like, I want people to watch me worship. Because I had people come up and say, Gene, it's just so awesome to watch you worship. I'm like, why are you watching me worship? Worship God on your own time. This is me and God over here on my own. And so I'm, I'm, leading, I'm sitting over there, and I'm like, I will play my bass in a back room you give me a chance to. Because I don't want people to see me. 
I don't want people watching me worship. I don't want anything else. This is me and God. Slowly over time, God erodes that, and all of a sudden they put a mic in front of me because they want me to lead the instruments. So I can tell the instruments where we're going. I'm like, that's fine. As long as I ain't coming through those main speakers, we're good. And that worked for a while (laughs) until all of a sudden the guy that I led worship with, and I said, dude, you sing, I'll do instruments. He decided to leave. And the pastor said, Gene, can you step up and do this? I'm like, dude, are you outside your mind? Honestly, that's what I told him. Because I know my voice. And he's like, all we need to lead worship is your heart. Because through it all, my heart was to seek God in worship. And so when I raised my hands, when I danced around on the platform, it wasn't for show, it wasn't for anybody else, it was because I had that undignified devotion to Jesus. And that's where my heart is drawing me back to again. It's to the beginning of undignified worship because what I see as a strength and what I see as people watching in me is exactly what God wants to use to draw people into his presence. So when you're stepping out in your worlds, understand God is saying exactly what your biggest issue you think is, is exactly what I want to use to draw that person closer to me. So whatever your story is this morning, understand God said I can use your story to change lives because your story is a part of my story. Because history is his story. And we're called to represent him. And so, 2 Corinthians, we jump into real quick, 12, 9, and 10. It says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul got it. Paul went full circle. Initially, remember, Paul's talking about how he's this great man of the law. He knew the law, studied with the best Pharisees, and he's, he did all, and he, you know, he's, he's from the tribe of Levi, and he's going through all this stuff, and going through all this stuff, and saying how great a person I am. Now he's saying... I glory in the fact that I'm weak because in me when I'm weak, Christ is made strong and I can proclaim his name. He went from that Pharisee law guy to I am the chief of all sinners. He went from pride to humility. And understand, being the chief of all sinners means I'm forgiven the most. And so though it seems backwards to us, God teaches us that when we think we're strong, we're really weak. But when we take knowledge in our weakness and humble ourselves before the Lord, we put ourselves in a position to receive his strength. And that's the test for followers. Will you trust God enough to let your weaknesses be his strength? Because it's when you let go of your comfort and your need for comfort and your need for control and your need for glory and your need for strength, and your need for compliments, and your need for paychecks, and your need for trophies, and your need for your co-workers' approval, or whatever other excuse you want to come up with this morning of what you think you need. God says, and you say to God, I'm abandoning everything that's comfortable. Do for me what you did for Jesus at the cross. 
And so as we wrap up this morning, when we understand and we're asked God this morning, that's what I want your prayer to be at the end of service this morning. Even if you think you got it all together, like I do most times when I'm doing my journals, and then I realize about two seconds into my journal that I ain't got it all together. We need the version of the cross that God used. We don't need a version of the cross that's comfortable. Because then, that's what God does, is he takes and does in our hearts what he did for Jesus at the cross and takes what's uncomfortable and makes it great. He takes followers who are hanging on by a thread and he'll bolster your spirit this morning. He'll get followers who are at their weakest moment and he uses them for kingdom good. So understand this morning God's got something great planned for you. And if you don't think so, I know he does because that's what his word says. I don't have to, have the, I don't have to think about it. I have to just be dumb enough to believe God and what he says. That's always been my, my thought process. I may not be the smart en- smartest guy in the world, maybe not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but I'm smart enough to know that God is smarter than me and I'll listen to what he says. And so before I'll go to anyone else and ask what they think about something, I go to God and ask him what he thinks about it. Then I'll go get godly counsel because it tells me to do that in the Bible. Verify it. Make sure you're doing the right thing. Don't go off all half-cocked. And understand that as he takes and turns your weaknesses into strengths, he takes your tests and turns them to testimonies to draw people into his presence. And that's where we're transformed.